0: Hey, everybody! It is Yasser! I forgot my line. I'm just kidding. It's (laughs) Isaiah! Uh, We are from my brother Sneaker, and we've got a little announcement. We are teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you three exclusive uh, episodes. Uh, Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moment from a ton of podcasts and creates playlist clips from a bunch of shows, and you can just search and try them out and find anything that you love. For instance... Oh, yeah. There's a playlist on there uh, called Slice of Life, which is all about, like, crazy, incredible things that happen to everyday people. Like, I just learned this, bro. I just learned some people pay their bills on time, dog. Oh, is that a thing? Dog, people will have a bill due date, and they will pay that bill before then. That's crazy to me. Before then. You know what else is crazy? What? Spoke also has a, a lot of fun, exclusive content from Feral Audio. Yeah. Um... It's just, you know, like our tournament episodes are going to be, Oh like, yeah. you know, there's going to be stuff like Sleep With Me, a lot of our, our other great shows here at Farrell. You don't want to miss it. Yep. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of My Brother's Sneakers' exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash mybrotherssneakers. MBS, MBS. Model boys, cute boys, round butt boys all day.
1: Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium, high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date, 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral. And buy some comfortable socks. Audio. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. If you're a first-time listener, uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, Check out uh, some of my posts, my other posts, shows, and whatnot at feralaudio.com, Conversations with Matt Dwyer page. Uh, I've done over 130 of these things, and I've talked to some very interesting, legendary artists and performers and writers and activists. And today I talk with uh, Ted Travelstead, who is a writer, he's a performer, he's a director, I became aware of Ted when he, I did Eddie Pepitone's podcast and he uh he tweeted out at Eddie and I said it was a great thing and I started looking at Ted's Tumblr or Twitter and I was like this guy's very interesting I think I need to have him on the show and now he is. Uh Ted is a very just I find him to be a very unique and uh, funny performer uh sort of in a style we need more of which we talk of in the show so I don't need to go into it. Uh We'll get to that in a moment. I it's uh, allergy season or something here in L.A. There's something going on. My I probably sound a little stuffy. It's been terrible lately. Like I'm I'm sleeping with my mouth open. That's how stuffy I am. And then I, it, then my mouth gets like dry as a desert. It's not good, not good, and nothing seems to be working. So I don't know. And everyone always says like, uh, take uh, take local honey, take some local honey, and uh, they're like, yeah, in about. A couple of weeks, it should clear up. I'm like, yeah, that's probably right around the time allergies. Like, it's, I don't know. I just don't believe this local honey thing. Because if it takes a couple of weeks, then it's probably just the uh, the pollen or whatever disappearing. And not the honey. Just a little bit of logic there about this local honey thing. Uh, that's about it, really. I don't have a lot. Like, I, I'm trying to work a new stand-up material, which is terrifying. I hate it. Uh, uh, but I also need to do it, you know. And I'm trying to get this album together so I could get it out there and you people can buy it and support me. Support me. Speaking of which, go to my Amazon link on the Feral Audio page of my Conversations with Matt Dwyer page and uh, put that in your toolbar and you use that for shopping or uh, anytime you buy a movie or some toilet paper. And uh, we at Feral Audio get a kickback of that money and it supports us greatly, which we need. We need support and help. Uh, Also, Follow me on Tumblr or just donate money. And fo- I'm not Tumblr. Don't follow me on Tumblr. Follow me on the uh, the MattDwyer.com is the website. The MattDwyer.com. And that's all things. And then you can follow me on Twitter there. I think that's it. I don't have a lot to say this week. I'm getting married in a few weeks. Everything is just all about buying clothes for the wedding. Or I don't know. I'm just ready for it. I'm just ready to get out of here. Go to San Diego. Yeah, that's where we're going. San Diego. Uh, I, just, I feel like I can't say where I'm getting married because I think I have in other episodes, but I'm paranoid that, like, I have a lot of crazy people or gregarious people in my life, too. who will just be like, I'm here. Let's get drinks on your honeymoon. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, much love to you all. Here's Ted Travelstead. A very great episode. Uh, One thing I was uh, sad to, well, you said you don't perform much anymore. And after watching all your vines and stuff, I was like, wow, that's a real goddamn shame that uh, I would love to see you do something live.
2: Uh, Well, uh, that's nice to hear.
1: (laughs) I mean, there's something very different and unique about, uh, I I don't know if that, I don't want to sound like I'm being too ass kissy, but like your approach to comedy and stuff is different than a lot of stuff I see out there these days.
2: Uh, That's I love that that you think that Um, no I I mean uh, it's I mean I I guess it's the only approach I know Um, and I've always been attracted to kind of off kilter absurdist what were some of of the like
1: uh, initial comedy things you were attracted to
2: I mean as a kid you know Looney Tunes um, was like a Saturday morning ritual yeah Um, I, I loved Bugs Bunny and all that stuff. Um, Steve Martin um, was huge uh, the jerk was like one of the first movies I can remember going to see with friends in the theater and uh, in an airplane and stuff like that yeah
1: I used to just sit and stare at Steve Martin records and like listen to him I, I mean I listened to those albums like a thousand times and it never got tired for me
2: no no me either that same with the Paul Rubens, uh, when the first Pee Wee Playhouse that was on HBO was like the one hour special. Oh, yeah. I have both. I, and I used to tape a lot of um, stuff, um, oddly, like, well, off the TV. Like, I remember taping uh, the, the Pee Wee Herman show and then taping a Steve Martin album. Um, just, but it was just me with a tape recorder near the speaker, so you could just hear me cackling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did that as well <laughs> in the background,
1: so I could listen to it in the car and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Um, yeah, and uh, the Andy Andy Kaufman's weird PBS oh, special too.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember him a little from SNL early on, and the the Mighty Mouse. And my mom was kind of like, I remember her cracking up at that, and uh, but. The more I, I, I don't think I really got into him until a little later, but I mean, I, you know, obviously it's yeah, a big I just influence. Got,
1: I didn't quite get what he was doing. I mean, as a kid, I didn't yeah, understand the exactly. wrestling and all that yeah.
2: stuff. Yeah, me either.
1: Yeah, I. it's, and I always feel like weird saying this kind of stuff, but like I was watching trailers for new comedies coming out, and then thinking about the stuff that I watched as a kid, and I was like, I feel like a lot of it is, we've really fallen <laughs> well i mean like all the trailers had homo and like kind of very homophobic jokes and it was like this weird sort of i don't know it seemed like stuff like the jerk and those stuff in that era had a bit different a better approach to it does that make me sound old
2: well i am old so uh it makes you just sound like <laughs> me yeah so i don't know <laughs> i guess <laughs> um no i i i tend to agree i mean i, I think that um obviously you know, there are still good comedies being produced, but they are different. And they're just thinking back on those movies that I grew up with. Yeah, there there, there was a, a slightly different sensibility. I mean, things had more air in them. You know, there didn't have to be laugh a minute, you know. Um, yeah. Like type... I watched
1: John Candy and it's like he he's so endearing and there's so much more behind him just being... An attitude, which I feel like is a lot of today's mainstream comedy, is just like this very attitude approach. And I'm like, God, what happened to? That's why I think I uh, uh, responded to a lot of your stuff because there is like this joy and innocence to it. Does that? I gotta like saying that and going like that sounds really corny.
2: <laughs> no, I, but, I, I mean, I, I, that's that's awesome. I think I, I've, I somebody once said that they, there was a pathos in in my. Uh, comedy which i found really interesting because i love um i love kind of riding that line between uh, humor and heartbreak um and that's i'm a fan of that in anything and i kind of i mean it's not always something i'm I'm like i'm not necessarily striving for it but it just kind of shows up
1: yeah it's a difficult it's hard to pull off too i think that's why i like a lot of woody allen stuff too is like his films because there is like a like he never wins And it's always There's always yeah. this sadness And a lot of people are like Well it's depressing I'm like yeah That's why yeah. I respond <laughs> It's like It's universal Instead of a, Pretending everything's okay
2: Yeah Yeah It's it It is more universal Than say you know My neighbor's a fraternity And you know <laughs> I mean I And listen I, I haven't seen that Particular movie But uh it just seems like um I don't know Yeah, there's there's a specificity now that I'm not sure I'm I'm as keen on as I was back
1: then. I just feel like there was you watch certain things like SCTV and stuff, and you see just such a complexity even in these sketch character these characters in a sketch show, and it's like there's like levels beyond just like hey, we're doing something goofy and stupid, and it's like yeah, it's like really engaging, and it's like it almost breaks my heart though because I'm like that's the kind of stuff that made me want to be comedic and I'm like feel like sometimes I'm like oh no one that's is that dead or is that going to be able to come back or That's a good question. Um I mean I think I don't
2: I mean it must it's it's still there in certain things I think yeah. but uh but just the way that society is and I think just like the internet in the past 15 years has just it's we live in a whole totally different world you know. Uh everything is so um, sensory overload and quick—you know—you've got quick cuts in everything, and that includes uh, jokes and humor and and movies, and it's just like
1: yeah, just just pile it all in. You it's know? funny if you listen to old like old old stand-up albums like Bob Newhart and stuff. They'll do a lengthy non-joke introduction to the bit they're about yeah. to do. It's like. I kind of was like, God, I would love to see people start doing that again just because it's so weird. Yeah. Or it's so weird in today's context, but that was just like par for the course.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's weird. I've, I've done, um, you know, there's a whole, like I've done stand-up, but I've also done like storytelling shows and uh, and I have mixed feelings about uh, the storytelling shows. like some people are really good about it, really good at it, and some people it kind of turns into like, I think there are certain people that think that the audience is going to be as enamored with their, (laughs) (laughs) their story as they are or their, you know um, and, and, and so much of those storytelling shows can be just like, I've got to create something fantastic, you know? So people start embellishing and embellishing and embellishing until it's just like you, you, I don't know, but not, not to, I didn't, start this to crap on storytelling shows I, <laughs> I i think that there is an element of storytelling that i love when it can come into stand-up a little bit you know yeah. like the, I, there's a few stand-ups i i know who aren't afraid to just like talk about like just tell us uh, tell stories you know and that really good ones will weave in you know and find the humor within those Types that's of
1: also I'm, that's something I strive to do, and it's just like it's fucking hard. Yeah,
2: yeah. That' I'm not that's my stand-up is not that at all, and and uh, you know it tends to be it's almost another character that's just kind of a heightened like version of myself, and a lot of one liner kind of weird non sequitur stuff. That's like um,
1: really favorite yeah. stuff of mine. <laughs>
2: Which you know I love yeah. it, and I but I have mixed feelings about about it, like. Um, you know, my wife is always saying. I mean, she's really great kind of uh, person to bounce things off of, and and she'll see my. She's you know gone to way too many comedy shows, and uh, um, but she's always like, you know, you gotta, you you don't have to go that far in the direction of this character. You can just be yourself, you know, and and it'll still be funny, you know but i always feel like you know since since the stuff i'm saying is so bizarre and and that it it it's just easier to hide behind this kind of weird stoner awkward dude you know <laughs> um, yeah and okay. it's a challenge i mean i've i've tried to pull back and just kind of be myself and still do the, the what i do and i think it i think it does okay but i I'm in a place now where I feel no confidence whatsoever about any of it. So oh,
1: I think, well, that's, I don't know. I think that's just, the, like, I'm in a transition, too, and I'm just like, fuck, I don't know. And I'm like, there's stuff I want to do, but I'm, like, terrified. Like I, And I don't feel good admitting that, that I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't
2: think I've done, you know, I don't, like, I've done stand-up, and I, like, the first, like, a few years before I moved here, I was doing it more, but I, I, I would... I don't like calling myself saying that I'm a stand up by any means because I just don't think I've done it enough i mean I would, you know the most I would do it is like once or twice a week and which for me at my age and having a day job at the time was a lot but that's but it's also not oops
1: yeah but in new york it's it's easier to do like here two times a week it's like it's a big effort oh it's,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree I mean since I've moved here, I have not done it uh in the past year I've done it a f- couple times and it's, it's hard to, um, it's just, it's hard to, I I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old, you know, but like yeah. driving, you know, uh, driving to a, a place and fighting traffic and waiting around and then
1: doing 10 minutes and it's, yeah, I'm, I'm 46. So there's like, I that, am too. Yeah. 68. <laughs> right, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Moon, same year as the moon landing that's how i like to brag about it yes yes uh to really make it seem like long ago but i uh yeah it's like i i hate to admit it but it's like it comes that point in the day where i'm like all right i'm ready for some movies just to sit <laughs> it's like and i never thought i would be that guy yeah well i'm it's it's
2: interesting i mean i found that there's like you know i do love to perform and i love to act and do all sorts of things and Stand-up was, was great, but it was easier to do in New York. And it, I think there's so many other outlets that I'm not singularly focused, which has been both a blessing and a curse, I think. Uh, yeah. There's been many times when I felt it, it's a curse, you know, because I have many friends who are very singularly focused and on stand-up or, or acting or, you know, certain things, and they just follow that one path and get – to where they want to go a lot quicker than someone like me who's like been in a band and did sketch comedy and wrote some books, you know. (laughs) Were you in
1: a band in New York? Yeah.
2: Yeah, when I, I moved there in 93 and then. Wow. um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like around the first time I went to New York. It's like, it's such a different place. Like, it was a, still a pretty gritty place in the early 90s.
2: Yeah. No, it was... Uh, I'm really... Glad. I lived in Queens for a year, and then I moved to Brooklyn. I was moved to Williamsburg in 94, which was... And I was there f- there for 10 years, and that was just kind of a bananas thing to watch that neighborhood turn into something, you know. What was Williamsburg
1: like in 94?
2: Uh, it was. It was... I mean, it was already becoming you know people had discovered it but it was i mean there was like one bar in the neighborhood and and it was just you know there weren't like you know but then it just it, it grew into be this very hipstery place and now it's like multi million dollar high rise yeah, like we
1: really kind of mo- most people can't even live in brooklyn anymore can they
2: no i, I it's it's really crazy like i i felt like and my wife feels the same way like she moved there in 90 a year after me i think um that's where we met uh she feels like the 90s there were, you actually there was you could live in new york in the 90s like that you could work a job and find a way to live there but now like it just seems like it's just it's priced everyone out you know even brooklyn like i mean we we uh moved here in 2005 and then back after we we spent a kind of a dismal year here um, and then moved back to New York in 2006 and we moved to Red Hook, which is a kind of an out of the way neighborhood. And we moved into a place and we were paying 1900, which was kind of expensive at the time, but they never raised the rent. So by the time we moved out in, uh, uh, 2013, we were still paying that price. And that was kind of unheard of, you know, like, like now, then I think they raised it to like 25 and, uh.
1: Jesus. <laughs> yeah. it's Did, did you move to New York? You're like, was it a band first, or was it? Were you still just kind of doing both comedy and band? Oh well, I didn't even think about being in a band. I wanted to act.
2: I uh, I like discovered acting the last two years in college, and like got ended up getting a, a degree in like theater and speech, and uh, <laughs> 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 which uh, you know, uh, oh, God, I mean, just. Uh, uh, Thinking how idealistic I was, or anybody is, when they kind of graduate, thinking that, you know, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah, and um, I spent, I kind of kicked around uh, Virginia where I I went to school for for a couple years, and then oh, I actually went and did an internship in New England at a theater, and then, um, and then. Dicked around some more anyway, and then moved to New York uh, because I had a bunch of friends that uh, other alumni from the school I went to, which is odd because it wasn't a big acting school. They ended up in New York, and we started a theater company, and uh, you know that lasted maybe a year or less
1: easy to start a theater company in new york can it
2: no i mean it's just kind of ridiculous it's
1: not much different than you know
2: a knitting circle or something you know it was just like or a book club i mean really it was just but i mean you know we took it seriously and and we created a show and we took it to like the minnesota fringe festival and like we had you know uh, grand plans like everyone does but then it just saw it kind of dissolve uh for a number of reasons. And, but by that time, you know, I, I was just, I, I, you know, I've worked all these, I was just working. I was a messenger, um, which I did for way too long. Bike messenger? Uh, No, not not that cool. (laughs) Um, no, no, just a invisible bike. Uh, I was, uh, I just walked. I, I worked for a foreign currency exchange and, uh, I, would just walk around and take the bus and train to hotels and galleries and different places that, um, that needed to, uh, exchange currency and basically picking up money, dropping off checks and, uh, did it for way too long. I did it for 10 years, but I, you know, at some point I worked to a temp agency and then they hired me on and I, so I had benefits, but you know, it was, I, I wasn't making a lot of money, but it was, just a job that I could do other stuff while I had. So then I was in a band for a while, and then I
1: got into sketch comedy. And Where did you start doing sketch comedy? When? Or, like where? where did... Oh, uh,
2: w- um, there was a place called the Westbeth Theater Center, which was um, down on the... L- it was like the lower... It was like west, like Greenwich, below Greenwich Village. I remember...
1: Um, was that pre-UCB before they infiltrated? Yeah, it was
2: right before. You know, I think they were there, but it was right around the same time um, that they they started. And I don't even know if they had a space yet. Um, but we used to do it at the uh, this place called the West Beth. and uh, PSNBC, which was a yeah, I remember a, that at here, which was a theater um, downtown. Um, Baby Jupiter was another p- little place. Uh, just these weird little venues uh, here yeah, and there. I just
1: didn't know much about sketch comedy because I, I was roommates with Matt Walsh before they went to New York to oh, start. Wow. And I didn't say it to him, but he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna move to New York and start." And I was like, "No one cares about improv and sketch." <laughs> like, I, I mean, I was I didn't say it, but I was like, "God, that seems like impossible." And of course, now they have an empire.
2: Yeah, yeah, boy, do they ever? Um, uh, yeah, it was weird because I, I, I. I was started doing that stuff before there was like the UCB, you know, cult of UCB uh, kind of thing that
1: Cult is an accurate accurate word. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I, just, I improv in general always seems kind of culty to me.
2: Yeah, and I don't necessarily mean it derogatory derogatorily. I, I mean, I I think that um you know, when I when I was I was in a uh did an internship in, in, in before I moved to New York at a theater. And we studied this, this type of theater called the Suzuki method, which was very much about breath and body and, um, kind of like putting your body in these strenuous positions so you can really gauge where you hold tension. And it was, it was really cool and powerful and really great to learn. But like after one year, I was like, okay, I'm good, you know, but everybody else that was there as an intern was like, I'm I'm in it for life, you know, like it became this kind of cult like, yeah, you know, and and I don't know. Cult's a bad word to to use because it's not necessarily, but it but people were very kind of under the spell of this thing.
1: I mean, I did it when I got involved in stuff too. I was like, improv is it for life? Like I was like, I'll always improvise. Haven't done it in 15 years. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah i mean it's weird i see uh cbgb used to have a space next door called the cbgb gallery which is this weird little space that was an actual gallery space but then they, house, they had a little stage and i used to go i don't know where I, I found it like in the voice or something but they would do these improv kind of classes but it was free it was just like this weird group so i would go do improv there like it was just there was no you know it's the mid 90s there wasn't a lot of like uh, outlets for that you know yeah. at the time um, but I never uh, th- anyway I never got involved with UCB because I was I, I don't know I was kind of just doing my own thing and didn't there wasn't like this you know now it's like well that's the farm team for SNL or whatever just like the Groundlings or Second City you know um, and I think people think well I want to get into comedy that's where I need to go you know I pay my Pay my dues, you know, literally and figuratively, you know, um, through their step system or whatever. And, uh, but I never.
1: I think it's way better to go. I went through Second City in Chicago and stuff. And so many. There was like the UCB guys. They were just like, that attitude of like, fuck this. We don't need anybody was always like, I was always like, first of all, who who you think you are? <laughs> I mean, just because I was so enamored by Second City. But I was like, you're way better off going outside the system, I think. Because I feel like it, it becomes a sort of. And I don't mean this in a bad way or anything against it, but it becomes a sort of a, they have their way of thinking and opposed to finding your way of thinking.
2: Yeah. No, I I think you're right. When you have other people telling you what's funny, um, even if they're super funny people, you're still, your humor is getting filtered through their lens, you know, and, uh, and, and and not that they're not that they're just telling you what's funny. I mean, they're they're telling you, they're teaching you about improv and about. And I know that there's lots of rules and different. You know, is a whole different skill set. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a choice I made. Like I'm not gonna get involved with those guys. It just it just the timing. It was just the, my age and where I was at the time. And it's you know I was already on track with something. So why go over here when I'm, you know, and I'm not saying that I was on the right track, but it was, (laughs) it, it was my track, you know? Um, and it's just been that way always. I think I've just been kind of a weird late bloomer and kind of, sometimes I feel like I'm missing a tool that everybody else has. Um, that's interesting. That could perhaps help me kind of, I don't know, you know, be more ambitious,
1: uh, I don't know, but I mean, you put out, that's an interesting, because you do a lot of creative, I mean, you constantly are putting stuff out there, even, you know, like, you have a shit ton of vines, and it's like, I think we maybe inside go, "Uh, well, that's not real, but it's like, yeah, you're creating things, and that's sort of the goal. True. Yeah, I mean, it's good to create, like,
2: I think, absolutely, that's one thing I've never, knock on wood had a had a problem with you know is is creating um like i don't feel like my wife sometimes feels blocked creatively and feel and i think she has this and she's very creative and very talented in many ways and but she has this sensor or this part of her that's like kills kills this spark before it gets a chance to spark you know and um i've been lucky that st- Whatever that mechanism is uh doesn't affect me as much, you yeah. know, and I'm able to just create. But as far as making a living at it and being ambitious in a way that's like, this is the track I need to go down and to be successful or, you know, I guess just make money. Um, that's, yeah. That's <clears throat> something I've never, I've, it's been rough.
1: I've been, I mean, I've, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people, but I feel like our, in, our what we often believe success is is, is a misguided concept. <laughs> True, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like I was saying like my friend was like, "Oh fuck, if I could just get on a TV show." And I'm like, in reality, like if like I don't want certain sitcoms are really fucking awful. <laughs> it's like but it's like, absolutely. yeah, that money would be great and then you're deemed as successful, but is it are you really successful if you're investing your entire time every day on a thing that you don't even really respect? Yeah. or think is good?
2: Yeah. I mean that there is that I, you I mean the goal would be to find the balance between happiness and and financial security, you know. Yeah. Um and I think that's a super tricky <laughs> I mean, I was reading this morning that, I, I, I,
1: To find either really <laughs> Yeah, I've, I mean, especially in an era where we live in, where, I mean, almost People I know who work constantly on uh, in television and film Are just like, I don't know what I'm going to do And yeah. I read this morning, Diane Weist can't pay her rent Oh my god, really? I know, and at first I was kind of like, oh my god, that's terrible But I was also like, why is that more terrible than me not being able to pay my rent? <laughs> it's like, I mean Yeah I mean, yeah. like I w- like had this a um, huge amount of empathy, and I'm like, everybody I know can't pay their rent. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's also terrifying.
1: You yeah, know, to that think you can that... be 60 something. Yeah, and that huge career,
2: and suddenly uh, find yourself in that uh, position. I, I read a an article I don't know, last year about um oh. about uh a guy who wrote for maybe he wrote for Roseanne at some point he was. He was making like three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, or something. He was making big money as a writer for many years, and then suddenly found himself homeless. Um, and he had a, he had a family and kids, and the whole thing was weird. It gave me it was mixed feelings about the whole thing. I I don't know. I the way he was living, it you know.
1: I know if I would have had money at, in my twenties, I would be. It would have been like it would have not been good. <laughs> it's like probably 30s as well. Yeah, but it's like if those people are losing their money, it's like there is no uh, that concept of security. Oh, like well, now it's it's like not really because who knows what's going to shift and happen and
2: Yeah, no, I know, and and especially I mean I was naive. I I don't know. I mean, I moved out here last year to write for the the show Wilfred, and uh, it was the last season, and I knew that. And I knew that it was a gamble. Like I, you know, I was working, I had a day job at Vanity Fair Magazine um, as a researcher. And I did that for seven years and it was great. Like it was a great day job and it afforded me the time to do other things. And, um, you know, so I always had this baseline income and insurance. And and, and I said, but I, you know, I wanted to write for TV, you know. And so I took the gamble and moved out here and um and it was great it was a great few months um but i i thought and you know i people made it seem like you know hey you you got your first writing credit it's you're gonna you'll you'll keep working you know and uh and i believed it and uh it was kind of devastating um when it wasn't true you know um i mean it just wasn't, I mean, I am working now, but like it, there was a, you know, a period from March to, uh, you know, December almost where it was just a real scramble. It was real tough. You know, it was a dismal staffing season and not a lot of comedies got picked up. And then you just suddenly found myself like, hey, I'm a lot of people, I'm sure, you know, um, just like, Oh, there's no jobs, you
1: know? And, uh. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think people on the uh, they assume that like television is like kind of a post office. It's like once you're in there, it's like yeah, and I don't you know just work your way up the ladder. I'm like it does no,
2: no, and I, I mean I'm old enough to know better in some ways. But when you, I think you know you kind of rationalize a lot of things when you get offered a, a job doing something you want to do, and you think like I'm gonna, and I knew you know I knew it was a gamble, and I was just like but I. It's one I got to take, and my wife was gracious enough to. I mean, we both were kind of. We'd been in New York long enough that we're like, we we'd like a change, and uh, so we came out here, and uh, and and I just I I think it's I you know I I, I had a meeting uh, with somebody who's been in been writing for a long time, and you know started in the you know eighties, and was like, listen. It was, there was a point where it was like, it was just like you would go from one show to the next, you know, but it's not like that anymore. And, and I, and I, it's not like I was naive enough to think that, you know, like I'd be like, Hey, I'm on easy street, you know, (laughs) (laughs) everything's cool. You know, Uh, I made it. I mean, I've had, I've had points in my life that, you know, you start to get that beat beaten out of you pretty quickly when you want to get into entertainment business you know you you have these there are no life-changing moments really i mean they're they're small steps but they're you know but i've had points in my life where i thought like this is it and there's never those are never the points you know (laughs) yeah
1: it's always like in, it's like the biopic moment where it's like, and then Richard Pryor figured out how to be funny, and it was like, and then he was
2: always funny. It's like, no, cut to musical montage of like.
1: <laughs> and I've had that moment where I was like, somebody's gonna butt. No, nope. okay, like, but where I was like, in my head, like, wait, it was like, you know, my trashy family with lottery tickets, like, thinking like, all right, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it's not.
2: Yeah. No, it's it's, and it can be. It never stops being brutal when you fool yourself in into thinking.
1: Yeah, I that think that was my biggest mistake for years. Is I just fooled myself really well. Yeah, <laughs> but then, like, then you hit a. I hit a wall where I was just like, "All right, you, you gotta get realistic here, and I can just keep doing stuff, and that's all I can ask of myself." And how did you end up? Absolutely. Did you like submit to Wilfred? Or because I know you have like those your vines and stuff, are and I've known people who've gotten. Uh, to tell, you know. I
2: well, I was lucky enough to be involved with two books. Um, a book that I wrote with um, some some friends who are also comedy writers. A guy writes on Conan, uh, a guy from Bob's Burgers, um, uh, and we we did a parody book. It was a parody of The Joy of Sex, and uh, it was called Sex: Our Bodies, Our Junk. And it came out in 2010. And in retrospect, I can't believe that we sold it to a major publishing house um <laughs> like no it, i i think it was really not because it, i think it was really no, funny i remember hearing about it that It was book, really yeah. funny but um but it was just seemed like a a fluke I, I don't know trying to sell books after that it just it was it happened so kind of easily um and and it was another one of those moments where it's just like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and, then, and then every book we pitched after that was just kind of like, no, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had done that. And that I, so I would uh, gotten a, a literary agent. And, uh, and she had put another book in front of me that was just basically a hired gun situation where St. Martin's wanted to capitalize on this, the David Petraeus scandal um general david petraeus uh, and his affair with his biographer and and so i had submitted like a a, an idea and they liked it and they hired me and they gave me two weeks to write this book and uh and that was great and um it it did very poorly i don't know what they were thinking though like they were going to capitalize on like it was such a kind of a minor scandal and you know in in some uh, ways and yeah and i wonder if it was
1: like something they missed in the past like some other scandals yeah, so where they yeah, were like oh let's, yeah, jump, on let's jump on
2: this one let's jump on this one yeah and just um but but what was great about it is that they really didn't change what i wrote a lot like and so it's just it, it really was a great kind of representation of my sensibilities. Cause I got to create this just weird world, um, out of using those characters and the chronology, but, but just, just making everything up. Um, so, so that was kind of awesome, but, um, long story short, the litter agent, um, she introduced me to, uh, some folks at UTA and, uh, one of them was in TV and he said, you should write a spec script and so I did and he helped me with a few passes and I just got lucky. The first people that saw it were the Wilford guys. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it really was quite lucky and amazing and they liked it. And then I did a very awkward Skype interview with them (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and then they hired me. Um, and they, and I had to be out in LA a week later. So it was like just bananas. Um, and, that's awesome. That's yeah,
1: because that is like for a spec script. What, what which what did you use for this? It was an original spec. Oh, for Wilfred? No, it was oh. for it was my own idea. Oh, 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 oh. And I,
2: uh, which is great that that's more popular these days. Like in the past, I remember trying to write like a spec script for Scrubs, and it was just like, <laughs> like terrible. God, you know, um, because I was terrible, not necessarily because Scrubs was terrible. It was just like but trying to. It's hard to filter a, yourself yeah. through somebody else's, you know. Uh, Especially
1: something that at that point is so like in everybody's brain. It's yeah. Like,
2: yeah. And it's like, yeah, how do you be original and write that, you know, when you're using. I mean,
1: I don't know. That's it. I had a friend once who's like, hey, submit your best stuff. We'll destroy you later. <laughs> like, we'll yeah. ruin everything for you. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, and that's accurate. It was for SNL, but they were, he was, and, which I didn't get, but I guess there wasn't much to destroy. But they, but that's. The it seems the common.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I remember, I remember putting together a uh, packet for SNL, and you know, using all their recurring characters and you know all that stuff. And uh, and then this is a whole another sidetrack, which I had this really crooked manager who was like, "No, put together a packet." And I put all this work in, and he'd never submitted it, and so it's never even went anywhere. But I um, felt like I should bring that up.
1: <laughs> sorry I know. i just i've had managers like that too and i was like isn't this how you make your living off of me selling something so why why would you just be like oh i forgot
2: yeah i mean this this guy was even yeah it's not even worth talking about but it was like <laughs> i mean he was he was this was when i was with the sketch group and he was it was the whole thing was weird and shady and i didn't all i wanted to do was create funny things and i had no kind of business sense and Or what, you know, so it's to say, Oh, that's cool, this guy's running the show. Anyway. Um but but I got to write a an original or I chose to write an original spec. So it was basically my own idea just for a show. And they really liked that and felt it kind of lined up a bit with the sensibilities of Wilfred. And then and then I think I got really lucky and when I talked to them, I had kind of thought, like, where would I take it in the last season? And I just lucked out that that there was a few plot points that they were they were like, oh, what? Why? Wow! That's what we were thinking. And so, I think that they just felt like, well, we gotta hire him now because he knows <laughs>
1: he knows what we're gonna do. That must have been dizzying. though, going from New York. Like, I mean, that's like in rapid. Did the, yeah, it did was you...
2: brutal. Um, I mean, more brutal for my wife who stayed behind and and uh, did the majority of the the packing and and like you know take took care of all that while I got to like scoot off and start you know uh writing for a show i mean it was it was a rough year you know it was i mean it was great to come out and do that but we we bounced around to these different sublets and we were trying to find a place to live and and then suddenly i was unemployed for uh you know uh a good many months and um you know so but I feel like, you know, I'm glad, I'm still, I'm still glad we did it.
1: Yeah, you're glad to be out in LA. Yeah, was it absolutely? Where are you from originally?
2: Well, New Mexico.
1: Oh, really? Where in New Mexico?
2: Albuquerque. Right on. But but I moved around so much. Um, Military kid. Well, no. Oddly, my dad was trying to get his doctorate in education, so we were going to different universities where he was doing different things. He was like the director of student teaching at uh, at a what is now James Madison university in Virginia um, was Madison college back then. Um, But we, we moved, we were like in Philly and then Virginia and then back to Albuquerque and then a few other places. Then my parents split up and then my stepdad, my mom remarried, they both remarried, but my, suddenly my mom and stepdad decided they were going to move to New Hampshire so then I was in New Hampshire for two years uh, from seventh and eighth grade and then then back to Virginia for high school and college.
1: Yeah, That's a lot of moving.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You're from New England, right? No, I'm from Chicago. Oh, Chicago. I grew up outside Chicago and then lived in Chicago for like 15-something years. I left like 31, lived in New York briefly. Oh, okay. That's it, because I tried to get involved with the uh, UCB. But I just didn't like, and again, nothing against them, but I just didn't feel it. Like I was just like, I can't, I don't fit in here. <laughs> and I really, because I was like, oh fuck, I'm in New York. This is like, I have an easy pass because I know these people, but I just couldn't get in step with it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's. Do you think being involved with Second City beforehand had? Anything? I think
1: that it, there's a different approach, and I, I, I they're they're very UCB's very uh, cerebral, in my opinion. Like they're, it's almost like writing. Well, when they improvise, it's writing. I think in a in a fast form, uh, where I feel like Second City comes from more of like emotional base, like like more character and uh, you know through the situation, opposed to like uh, I don't want to say creating, but like I, like I feel like UCB is plotting uh, like while they're improvising. Yeah, like, oh, and when we'll go here, like it it's a whole different so thing. And weird Rain,
2: my, Rain Man sensibility. Yeah, and my
1: brain, <laughs> like I watch them do it, and I'm like, that's amazing. I yeah. can never probably do that in a thousand years yeah so yeah that's, and that's, new york was just a weird and what years when were you there i was there i moved there it was like I don't know, 2000 2001 when was 9 11 2001 yeah so like 2000 then i went away and then i like moved around and then i came back right after 9 11 which was like a week and a half after which was just like <laughs> it's like cause... i already was depressed and yeah. i was like
2: <laughs> neat yeah Yeah, yeah.
1: what's the worst place you could go to after when you've just already just kind of tripped and fucked up your life a little bit? (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I just came here, because it was like, all right, there's, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends in LA, and it was like kind of a restart, and it's like...
2: And when was that, that you came here?
1: Fucking 13 years ago, this past November, which is...
2: Oh, so not too long after... uh...
1: Oh, yeah, I split November 13th after 9-11. Okay, yeah. And it was just... And you know, it like I loved this place at first, and then it was like, my first six months were like, I could, like I got a manager, I got like some lo- fancy lawyer liked me, and I was like working as a stand-up. and it all abruptly stopped. <laughs> and then I was like PAing, and I just remember one day I was like PAing, and this guy I knew from Chicago was like, "Hey, what are you doing on this lot?" And I was like, "He's like, I got you know going in for a meeting as a director," and he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, uh, "Getting people lunch." <laughs>
2: yeah like yeah it really <clears throat> is a feast or famine this like. town
1: will knock any ego out of you
2: yeah absolutely it's a, it's
1: a, it, I hate the word humbling but it is humbling
2: it is it's, I, you know and i mean i don't know in a different way than the new york i think um like you know because we we came out here for a year um in 2005 and i thought like i'd done some writing for a show on vh1 and i thought like i but it, but the show was based here and the people were based here and there was people i knew and i was like man i'm gonna we my wife really wanted to get out of new york i mean 9 11 did number on everybody obviously but i think it just really there was like she just wanted out you know and so I, i didn't really know where else to go I mean, I think she would have preferred to go anywhere else but here. Um, but I, I knew what I wanted to do, so I was like, well, let's try L.A., you know. And, and that was probably one of the worst years. Like, it was just I, – I just was so lost. And it can be so isolating, especially if you don't know that many people. And Yeah. And I'm not a hustler, so, you know, like trying to toot my own horn or just get, <laughs> just meet people or get out there, you know – and but, I wasn't doing stand up at the time,
1: so yeah. That those people amaze me—the ones who who are can be really funny or creative, but also just shoot their mouth off like without like I'm the fucking best and like get job. I'm like I can't do it. Like my gut hurts when I do. It. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I remember when like the the book my the book came out, the Petraeus book, like trying to, um, to to put the word out on Twitter and other things or or get like you know. uh Get, contact people that had more followers and say, "Hey, you know, can I send you my book?" Or you know, hoping they would like maybe say something about it. Or all of it made me really uncomfortable. Like just, uh, which is weird uh, or not? I don't know. <laughs> it's just I, who I don't... am. I mean, I, I you know, I, I'm just not. That's just not my strong suit.
1: Um, yeah, my like it was just very working class Irish Chicago stuff. Where it's like you know, you know, if you talk well of yourself someone is going to be there to knock you down (laughs) fast
2: yeah yeah and uh yeah i mean and that is basically uh the internet in a nutshell you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a great analogy the internet is one big irish family uh yeah i do find the one thing about la that i guess and it is isolating as fuck but it it did kind of like did you find this like it helped inspire you to write more? And cause I was like, I got nothing else to do. I'm locked in my apartment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually that year uh, that I was here, I, I did, you know, I finished at least one screenplay and you know, I was, so I was still writing. Um, not that those screenplays went anywhere or, you know, but at least I was, at least I didn't close up that way, you know um, you know uh, but I felt so lost and, I think going back to New York um, was good. You know, I think Vanity Fair was a good job, and that kind of rejuvenated me. It might not have been the best, I don't know. You talk to my wife, she might not agree. But, uh, you know, I think if it were up to her, we wouldn't be in either New York or L.A., you know. Where would she rather be? Chicago? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I tried to convince my girlfriend to
1: move back to Chicago.
2: Well, she, <laughs> she's from Iowa. so Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, that's not necessarily where she I think she would just want to be in a smaller creative hub like, um, like Austin or uh, something like that.
1: Yeah, um, I've never been to Austin, but like Portland, though Portland I know yeah. is changing rapidly, but it's just very appealing to me. It also reminds me a little bit like a mix of tiny Chicago, tiny San Francisco. Yeah. With a lot of bars. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I have a penchant for bars.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, bars are good.
1: <laughs> Can you see yourself leaving LA? Like, it's a weird... Uh, uh, I, You know, I mean,
2: I, I don't know. I have trouble. I'm, I am, even though I just previously said that my focus is all over the place, I am singularly focused in that I know I want to work in the entertainment industry, and work creatively, so it's hard to think about going somewhere else.
1: I don't... Um, I think, like, having the multi... Because I feel the same way where I'm like, I have... You know, like, I do the podcast, and I'm like, oh, I should just be writing stand-up, or... you like, And I beat myself up for it, but it's like, after years, it's like, then you have this huge body of things that you've created, which is... Like and I think then someday someone's gonna be like, look at all the fucking stuff this guy has.
2: No, I I do. Yes, absolutely. I think that's great. I think the the hardest part is just just feeling just feeling rudderless sometimes, and just feeling like you know, and just working. I mean, up until you know a year ago, uh, I've worked so many different jobs. You know, just trying to get by, just from. Crappy warehouse jobs to restaurants to whatever, you know, and if, and, and that's, it's, it's hard, you know, I do think it's, it, it creates a great kind of, um, fabric, uh, for to draw on when you're writing and creating like i'm really glad that i've experienced all those weird different places you know it's like at vanity fair uh, you know i run across ran across a lot of ivy league ki- kids who went to ivy league schools who you know um were brought up p- come from privileged you know backgrounds and you know get go straight from their ivy league school to be- becoming a editorial assistant you know and 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 there were they were So many of them were so nice and great, but, but it was just an interesting, I just felt like they might not have, they, they could use a wider perspective on life than, yeah. And maybe I'm just rationalizing my, you know, ragtag upbringing and, and, you know, the way I've, but, but I'm really glad I worked in a warehouse, you know, I'm really glad that I worked with a bunch of ex-cons like in a messenger room and like, Got to know people and
1: things and stuff that... I think some of the best writers, like, in history tend to be the ragtag guys. Like, I mean, who's, you know, who... It's true, Raymond Carver. Who, yeah, and, like who, like, uh, Henry Miller, the, you know, it's like, Henry Miller didn't have a Harvard degree. And, like, he went and... Did, did this guy I interviewed, Paul Ballantyne, was like, uh, he's like was a drifter and stuff for 30 years and I was like w- if you were teaching writing what would you teach you he, he, his thing was he's like I tell everyone to quit and just go out and do stuff yeah and it's like it's true it's like no I'm a big
2: proponent of that you know like jump out of the nest and like it's very easy to be like you know in a learning system or you know whether it be you know an improv community or a theater community or a writing program or you know and just be there forever and not step yeah. outside of it and take what you've learned and put it to use somehow, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if this sounds too like Johnny Lefto, whatever, but it's like <laughs> what you're saying about these guys going from like Ivy League schools to being the editors as like this limited view of, of – or, or, you know, if that how that affects the overall, like, magazines we're reading and, like, their perspective. Because it's like, you don't know what it's like to fucking be like, oh, I guess I'm going to eat noodles for a week. <laughs> it's like Yeah. And that's.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you look at a magazine like Vanity Fair, which is, is you know, I mean, it's a kind of. It appeals to what well, appeals to a lot of different people, but it, it, it focuses on, you know, like rich, like. Problems and problems the one percenters are having, you know, scandal in the one percent community, you know that, and the Kennedys and uh, and uh, the Astors and uh, Marilyn Monroe. I mean, there's this. It's, it's just, weird
1: that they still like magazines, like repeatedly, still write about Marilyn Monroe. It's like fascinating to me.
2: It, it, me too. Like and and you know, um, like I don't want to denigrate it too much. Like, but it was a weird velvet rope culture there. You know, it was like. The research department and the copy department were kind of these ragtag groups of assorted people from all different areas of life. But then you had, you know, the editorial staff and 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 the editor. And it's you know, it was very kind of separated, you know, and everybody was very nice. It wasn't like, uh, you know, but it was just it was just a strange I think publishing is that way
1: in, yeah. in a lot of ways. I felt like my time in New York, too, that was a lot of like, I knew so many people and they'd be like, oh, that's like so-and-so's daughter. Like, it was just like everybody was came from these incredible lives and I was like, my, my dad drove an asphalt truck. Anyone want to talk about that? <laughs> it's like, but it was like these, and it's like, sometimes it's kind of maddening on your brain if you come from a weird world.
2: Yeah, yeah. and And don't, I mean, it can be, you can make yourself feel like shit or, or feel like you're not uh, uh, enough of, you know, or don't have a pedigree or something, or you can turn it around and, and be really full of yourself and be like, fuck them. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I, I think, I don't necessarily think either way is healthy. I think right. finding the balance of just being like, hey, look, I am who I am. I can't. Yeah, I can't change where I came from. You know, I can't.
1: Yeah. But um, well, like, any used stories, you know, he'd he be like, "There's a reason you end up in those. Like, you deserve to be in those situations. Like, you're you're a great person. Like, and it's like, yeah. I mean, not that I'm great, but I'm not saying, yeah, I'm great. But no, like, but, you know, you yeah, end up in these because you've worked and you've navigated your way into this shit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you. I, yeah. I. 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 I I'm. I, I'm not sure. How I could say that better? <laughs>
1: Hard to top Eddie Peppertone.
2: <laughs> it is. How do you know Eddie? I love him. I um, I met him working. We both. I he has a bigger role. I have a small recurring role on an Adult Swim show called Your Pretty Face Is Going to Hell, and uh, it's basically uh, the office set in hell. Uh, that's kind of a bad way to describe, but it, it's kind of it's demons. It's this about this demon named Gary who it works in a cubicle in hell and he has to get souls. And, and he, Eddie has a recurring role as, as Eddie is <laughs> this, this, this uh, tortured soul who uh, he's not a demon. Oh, he's somebody who so went to hell. And, and, and of course I, I knew of Eddie before that, but then I uh, didn't, I actually got to meet him and work with him and such a great guy.
1: That guy. There's, just, there's just, pe- I'm just like, I wish I had a fourth of that, his ability to crack me like, Kills me. The yeah. guy kills me endlessly.
2: He's really funny, really thoughtful. Like you know, just you know, such a smart guy too. Talking to him,
1: your Adult Swim video though, by the way, of the Living Between the Walls of uh, <laughs> is one of the best. I mean, I <laughs> that was the start of my morning, and it was like the best.
2: That's that's thank you. That I was lucky enough to to uh, be cast in that, but I had um, I did not write it, but it was. um it was a friend of mine, Jason Roeder had written it, uh, and this other guy, John Harris, um, and uh, yeah, really funny. Gary Oldman's walls.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, you're such a great like performer. Like you did stir up that sort of like that love I have for John Candy, where it's like there's a oh. joy and there's a vulnerability, and you don't. I honestly, I, you don't see it a lot, and it's what uh, you know. So when I see it, I'm like, oh fuck, thank
2: God. That's that's really nice to hear. I you know, I um cuz it's I, I don't know. It's 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 easy to get it's nice
1: to... <laughs> and you have a mischief about you. I know but uh, I'm but a, it... I'm kind of a rascal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is, but every time her my lady and I watch like John Candy movies, I'm just all I'm just like the old guy on the couch going, "They don't make them like that anymore." But they don't. There's it's rare.
2: No, you're right. It's funny. I believe it or not, and I'm a huge fan of his, but I didn't see planes, trains, and automobiles until just this, just in December was the first time I ever saw it. I, I can't really explain why. There's no it's no reason. A miss, but um. Man, I loved it.
1: There's, there's, I can even watch, like, I watched, uh, he had some not so good romantic comedy with Ali Sheedy, but I'm like, I watched it a few weeks ago because I was like, I don't give a fuck. I just want to watch John Candy.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Met him once. Really? Yeah, I was like a kid. It was briefly, and I was terrified. But- I was terrified because I was so, like, I was couldn't believe it yeah. was him. Yeah.
2: What, what uh, was, what, what, where?
1: Uh, at Second City. I worked on the staff, like, waited to table, or wash dishes and stuff in high school, and so once in a while, and people so come how, through. And so, was it, did you go up to him, or? Uh... I can't, I honestly can't remember. The only thing I remember is just seeing him from the other, like, on one side of the theater, and seeing him just, like, this mountain of a person, like, yeah. just over, <laughs> like, and I think I just went up and briefly said hi. But do you remember him being uh,
2: as nice?
1: and? Yes, he seemed very tired, but he seemed very nice.
2: That's that's nice.
1: That was the great thing about, like, spending my teen and 20s there is I just got to see so many of the people I completely idolized. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, mind, like, I'm like, oh, fuck it. No matter what I do in life, at least I got to dick around that for a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being in that, that environment and that world... Uh, especially if you're interested in comedy. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that was... I mean, that and F Troop and watching weird reruns were my form of my... I mean, like, you watched all those, like, Looney Tunes, and, I mean, I, that's... Again, like, a, you... I go, ah, there's, there's nothing like Warner Brothers and Looney Tunes. Like, it's all cartoons. And to, as I watched it looking to want to do comedy as a kid, it's like, that's just fucking gag training, you know?
2: Yeah, it's weird, and I always got, like... Like I was never really into superhero comics. Like I had a few growing up, but <laughs> for whatever reason, like I I I had like uh The Scrooge, uh the McDuck and um <laughs> and like Richie Rich and like Hot Stuff, The Little Devil. Like all like I, I still have like, you know, these and Bugs Bunny comics. Like, um I remember if I'd get sick, my mom would like before Mad Magazine, before she started before I got into Mad Magazine, she would go get like I don't remember if you, The drugstore used to sell, like, three-packs of, yes. like, assorted yeah. comics, and um, having her bring back one of those would be like, yeah, that's score. Yeah, I didn't give a fuck about superheroes or... It was a- just wasn't... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really... I don't know why. I got were- into D&D later. Like, did you really? Yeah, I did. I mean, like I tried. I couldn't get into Seventh and it. eighth grade. That was... Maybe it was the darkness of living in a blue-collar, coastal New England town. I think... uh, uh That might have added to it
1: yeah it was like there was i just it was something it was like a something about my my brain it was like because isn't it like there's graph paper and i can't remember how it's
2: yeah it's like you make these that i think that was like you create dungeons and so you can create and that's where i got off was like drawing these little weird maps and dungeons and and stocking them full of you know weird monsters and treasure and all that stuff and i think just that whole kind of other creating an other world other life um at that time when was kind of a bleak time in childhood so it was like that was a nice fantasy escape
1: yeah yeah well where can people find all oh, your, your comedies and your vines, which they should definitely see your vines.
2: Oh, uh, I, you know, I don't, I, I have a Tumblr, but I'm mostly just Twitter. I'm at Trumpetcake on Twitter, and there's a link there to the vines. I, I have a Tumblr for the vines. And uh, All right. Thank yeah. you very much. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
1: Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Please donate. Use the Amazon link. Follow me on Twitter, themattdwyer.com. I love you all. Audio.
0: I can't believe how cold it is. It's so cold here. You you so
1: so i
0: of the United States government. It is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped: Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of
1: the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.